You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Setting Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to talk to Paroma Sen about marketing. Paroma, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Asher, with you. Fantastic. So we've got to know each other a little bit, you know, over the last like three or four months. And you actually invited me to an event of yours. And so I'm happy to have you on my show. Although this is kind of unfair because I wanted you to have you on my show first before I came on to your show. So, you know, all good things come together. Like they say, you jump the gun, right? When you do exactly. the thing. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah. This audience is all executives, like there are different phases of their career journey, and uh, and there's, there's about 7,000 of them. And so before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are? Sure. So um, Asher, you know that I'm the Senior Director of Industry Cloud GTM at SAP. How I got here is a very windy road. <laughs> I remember I was getting my master's in uh, electrical engineering. I told myself at the end of that long journey that if I have to write one more line of code, I'll either kill myself or I'll kill someone else. So <laughs> that point, I went and got an advertising degree and I was like, okay, I've got advertising, I've got engineering. What the hell can I do with this? And I ended up in technology marketing, which turned out for the best for everyone because I love it. And, uh, you know, over this last uh, 16 years, I've worked in semiconductor marketing. I've done e-commerce. I've marketed real estate. I've done nonprofit. Eventually ended up in enterprise software. And now I'm in a position where I suddenly find that all that experience is coming to good use because now I know how to communicate with, say, my manufacturing audience because I know both their story and their customer story. I've done both the B2B and B2C side of things. And then I've recently made a shift from hardcore marketing to go to market, more strategic, more going back to what I used to do early on in my career. And I really enjoy it and I love it. And I love speaking to people like you. So this is the great Friday afternoon. So let me get started. So when you say you're responsible for the go to market, can you break that down a little bit? For, and I say this because there's lots of people that yes. are doing this this revenue stuff, right? Which is also cool too. But I think like go-to-market came before, revenue came afterwards. And so mm-hmm. can you just break this down? I know we're going to talk about marketing, but I just wanted to clarify this for the audience. Yeah. So I do this for two specific industries, which is automotive and utility. Okay. And industry cloud is a new set of solutions that we've you know released in the last year, year and a half uh, in SAP. And that's really industry-specific solutions. So go-to-market, our realm, our domain means, you know, the, the strategy of how do we segment that market? Who will benefit most from this? Is it the biggest guys out there? If yes, then what will they buy and how will they consume it? And then what about the net new endowment and, and the middle of the road? What does their journey look like? And there might be multiple divergent paths, starting from those first decisions that they've already met, but getting them on the journey, being able to communicate the value and articulate that properly and take them on that road, that's sort of what GTM is here. Is pricing a packaging part of your go-to-market strategy? Pricing is not part of what we do. That's more in the development area, but okay. uh, certainly we influence it. Because we are closer to the market, so we we have this feedback. 
I'm going to have you come back onto the show and talk about that also. I, th- I think it's super, super interesting. But let's di- dive into the topic. Let's talk about marketing. And let's first define marketing from how you define it. Sure. So, Asher, anyone studying marketing will tell you that there are as many marketing definitions out there as there are practitioners of marketing. But yes. for me, um, to keep things simple, I break it down into four core elements, right? So, to me, marketing is the process of bringing the right message to the right audience at the right time in the right place. And those four things combined will give you 90% of marketing theory that's taught in universities, right? So the right message tells you, who are you talking to? You know, what is the message? Is it a brand message? Is it a product message? How is that going to be consumed? And are the benefits coming through in the right way, right? The Right audience. The second piece is the who of your who of your campaign, the who of your um, marketing process, and that's around segmenting the audience, targeting precisely. The third piece is when, because there's a criticality of time element. You don't want to bombard your audience with the right message at the wrong time. I mean, imagine targeting someone with a diaper ad when the child is already, I don't know, four years old and they're not in need of that product anymore. So that would be an example of a wrong time. And the fourth bit is the right place. What channels are you using? You know, am I going to buy a spray on a big billboard because I know my target audience drives up and down the highway at rush hour? Or am I going to buy a search ad at a specific time? You know, maybe someone is looking for living room design ideas and you place a furniture, furniture ad or a couch ad. So those are very two different strategies about the right place, placement of advertising. So those four things combined is marketing to me in a nutshell. Fantastic. So let's talk about the past of marketing, right? Again, there's many, many, many marketers that have been on, on this uh, show. And it seems like everybody has an interesting journey, right? And so I would love to hear from your perspective, the past of marketing, and then we're going to talk about the present and the future. Yeah, I think, Asher, um, the way the field of marketing has evolved in the last 40 years, no other function has evolved like this. Like sales is the same, you know, the process of selling has not changed. A hundred years back, there people were selling in the same way. And today people are selling the same way. But marketing, what it means has changed so many times that it's, uh, it gets confusing to people. Uh, and would you believe it? A few years back, if I would tell someone I'm in technology marketing, they would say, oh, can you tell me this LED port, does it do this function or that function on my TV? And I'm like, what do you think technology marketing is? Like, seriously? <laughs> so back when, right, maybe, I don't know, for, again, 40 years back, yep. when you talked about marketing, there were the big television commercials. There were yep. those inspiring commercials. Like if you talk about the Levi's Pioneer or Pioneer ad, right, it, it makes you feel that sort of liberation, that upliftment, that you know, you're talking about sons of the soil being productive, you know, putting together something for a good cause. Pioneers of pioneers. You're the pioneer. You're you're the trendsetter. Yep. Or if you talk about the Apple 1984 ad, you know, where the Olympic woman comes with a torch and she sends it through the screen and there's a mass of people wearing the same kind of outfit. And it's a statement about not being totalitarian, but the rise of democracy and the rise of liberty and all of those values. So those brands succeeded by tying those values with their brand. And me as a consumer, I would think that, okay, if I buy an Apple product, that means I support liberty and I support democracy and I support all these good things. That made them millions of dollars, right? Yep. Today, fast forward 40 years and marketing looks completely different. We talk yep. about YouTube. We talk about search. We talk about influencer marketing. And it's much more KPI driven. It's much more focused on getting, again, that right 
message to the right audience at the right precise time. So yes, it's changed many, 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 many times over. Um, wow. Yeah, that's how I would see the entire spread of how things have changed a little bit. Again, giving it a little bit of flavor. But my career, like I said, I've worked across many industries. And again, we, we define marketing in different ways across different industries. In the enterprise software domain, marketing only does events and digital programs and brand, right? Which is not something that I, I like to do marketing strategy or go to market. So, so yep. that's why I had to sort of shift. A little bit, yeah. Well, interesting pieces, and I've had CMOs that have been CMOs for a very long time on this show, right? And so what they say is back in the day, like copywriting was essential to marketing. Creative Mm -hmm. was even more, even essential to marketing, right? And, And I guess that back then, people weren't bombarded with ads and creative everywhere you go, right? Because quality creative was so hard to find. Now it seems like, Thank you, Canva, for giving making everybody a creative, right? And so, so, right. so, so that's where we've where we've gotten to now. And and I was de- reading a statistic, and you know, Demand Matrix, the company that sponsors this podcast, was acquired by Demand Base. So I have to call that out because the statistic I'm about to share is something that I learned this morning, mm-hmm. where all of the ads and what people are being bombarded by the 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 effectiveness of the, that creative is actually is actually losing its flavor too because it's just becoming too noisy. Yes. Right? And so that's where we've gotten because we were first humans doing the work. Now machines are doing the work, and mm-hmm. and there's just tons of volume, right? Right. And so so let's talk about what does the future hold because we came from a nobody knows good marketing to mm-hmm. lots of people know good good marketing. Some of them know great marketing, and now we go to the future. Thoughts. So many great points you've made here. So I'm going to connect a little two of the dots that you mentioned. So okay. some of the bad rep that marketing has undergone through the years is because it's been so, it's been sort of disconnected with outcomes, right? There's been lots of spend, millions of dollars spent on a creative being built, you know, an agency spent. And then tens of millions spent in actually placing that ad with TV channels or other channels, right? So that's a huge budget spend. But your sales next quarter, a consumer walks into a store and buys something. How do you tie that to this dollar spent in advertising? That connection was never there. And that entirely changed with the advent of digital, because now you can connect impressions with clicks, with leads, with acquisition of a customer, right? All of those things are connected finally. Um, that's one piece. That's just, that's the tactical piece. But then the strategy piece, right? Like, again, a lot of companies say that strategy or selling strategy is a sales function. But inherently, by definition, sales is a very short-term function. They are thinking about how do I sell more this quarter? How do I hit my commissions this quarter? They're not thinking about six months down the road, two years down the road. So strategy is, again, a strategy is a word that talks about long-term, that talks about how the market trends are influencing my product roadmap that ultimately impact a customer's journey, which is a very long-term way of thinking. If you outsource that sort of a long-term function to a sales who are thinking short-term, there is a mismatch and there's going to be problems very sooner or other later. So in the future, what I feel is that that has to change, that sales and strategy have to be separated. And I'm not saying that marketing gets strategy. No, the marketing has to continue what, what they're doing because apparently no one else can. But there has to be strategy has to be, become core and central to a company's growth plans. And everything has to sort of pivot around that, right? Yes. There are some well, people who do that well, and so there are some people who don't. So selection of that organization is very critical too. 
Yes. And, you know, it's selling, by the way, also gets a bad rep. It's not just marketing, <laughs> right? And, and it's yeah. interesting because, like, literally, I was on the phone this morning, and, and, I'm, and I'm explaining. And that, that's what I do, by the way. For my day job, I own sales and marketing for the demand matrix, mm-hmm. and now I own the go-to-market for demand base, right, uh, for, the, for the data cloud segment. Now, it's interesting because I'm on the phone with this lady, and I just told her that, look, I'm selling data. And it, I have to sell it because, you know, it's there's a value proposition. If you don't like my value proposition, you can go to somebody else. But mm-hmm. there's a sell. There's a pitch, right? Like, there's a presentation, right. right? Like, like so, but I'm doing this because I experienced this problem two companies ago. Mm-hmm. And I deeply care about it. Right. And then literally five minutes later, she goes, okay, so I'm going to ask a question. And I know there's a lot of salespeople on the phone. And I don't know if I'll get the right answer. And I'm like, wait a sec. Did you not oh, just hear what I just said? Like five <laughs> minutes ago, I'm just telling you, I literally am doing this. And you can you can ask me like to, to break things down. So so it's interesting that the selling gets gets a, a... And so if marketing is the, let's say, who do we go after because mm-hmm. we have identified their need? And what do we give offer to them? Then selling, I think, is translating that message into human speak and mm-hmm. customizing it to your situation or your yeah. pain point. Very fair. Very and, fair. And, and the combination of two actually brings magic because you earn the right to a customer's business and then they're happy. And that's what I what I think. And that's if people, if like sales and marketing folks like think about that. And one of the only ways you can think about that is actually if marketers take a turn in sales for maybe six months to a year and then sellers go to marketing and you force it's, it's uncomfortable, right? Because you have to learn, right? But I think the two of them coming together then bridge the gap. But the gap is bridged when you understand that one individual yeah. is responsible for understanding the need, and the other individual is responsible for pacifying the need. Absolutely, you walk a mile in the other person's shoes, and that's how. Hundred uh, percent. That's you. It was super yeah. duper like eye opening. When I actually tried to market to, to the market for one, I saw I've done yeah. sales and I I've not loved it, but now I understand the shit they have to go through. Excuse yeah. my language effect. This is the real stuff, right? This is what I I like about my show. Like, if you're here, this is you. The world needs to know you, and it's okay, right? And so, uh, we also—that's why we also focus on executives because, like, they are used to Mm. the the executive antics, you know. So, okay, so we have now like this massive funding that's going into sales tech and martech, and there's like two point three trillion dollars worth of like spend that has moved to the cloud, right? And then there's like. 7,000 technologies that help sales and marketers uh, move forward. And so, so like, what do you make of this? What I make of this is that the, the marketplace is becoming busy because there's value there. And people are trying to carve out pieces of that value for themselves, right? And that's the right way to be. It has to become chaotic and maddening before, before every big industry goes through that, that sort of motion of multiple fragmentation and lots of companies doing that. Before they hit that golden wall, and then there's consolidation. Then you see a lot of these things being bought, consolidated, and then the standardization happens, right? When I used to be a CMO, and that this was a few years back, I would always tell marketers that you do the things that you have to do to hit your numbers, but always keep a small slice of budget available to do experiments with. That's where you test out small pieces and see if a different, a specific technology or a vendor is being successful in that or not. Give them a specific KPI 
and see if they hit it, see if they exceed it. There are some creative ways of staggering the incentives so that they're, you know, the interesting things you can do with contracts and stuff as well. Most marketers don't think like that. Most marketers just think about performance of the campaign. That, that is a fantastic. I'm so glad you said that because too many times when people work on, and I see this, right? Because like, interesting, I used to work with sales teams that were selling applications and we worked with sales teams that are selling data. And then I stock with sales teams that work on projects, right? They're services folks, right? Right. And, and it's interesting when they explain their interactions with CMOs who have thought that part of their budget through and the ones mm-hmm. that haven't, right? And right. then the ones that haven't, and then when they want to, to, to go experiment, then they're caught up in this difficult situation yes. because now the only other place the budget is coming from is somebody else's program or somebody else's headcount. That, that somebody else is not going to like that very much. Exactly. <laughs> but if you keep aside 10% of your budget to play yes. with, and even then you can show and you break up that 10% into maybe three different projects and two of them fail miserably, but one succeeds. Hey, yes. now you have a lot more information going in. And now that third vendor or the third yes. technology that you invest in is going to get a bigger share of your pie going forward. And you can almost closely guarantee success. So how good of a thing is that? That's young. <laughs> it's another one of my friends, you know, like, and, and you, and see, you do this podcast long enough, you're going to make a lot of friends. This is why I recommend this to everybody, right? But an, another one of the guys is like, look, you know, after a certain point in time, we're, we all just become capital allocators. Mm, yes. And you have to get really good at cap. Whether you're talking with yes. personally or professionally, you Absolutely. just become a capital allocator, right? Yeah. And, and then we hit bankers and, you know, like private asset asset guys, right? And they're all the same guys. So anyways, this is, uh, this is why we do this on, fr- on Fridays. But your point is well taken, right? Like, Think intentionally about the future, and especially in marketing, when you have large budgets, you need to make sure that you have a certain amount of budget spent for experimentation of, because you just don't know where things might pop up from. Exactly. And there are startups that I've invested in doing exactly what I told you, uh, this experimentation, you know, 10% of the budget thing that have gone IPO and in a big way and become very successful. So now I feel like, oh, yeah, I had some something to play in their early successes because I invested in them. I invested in that idea. It, it feels sort of validating in a very different way because you are being able to, again, as a marketer, I think of marketing as a long-term thing, right? Strategy. Where are things yes. meeting the market? You're being able to see that and have that play out is uh, yes. very cool. Well, fantastic point. So we understand that like the future marketing folks actually i would say the current marketing folks should do this too but if you're listening to this and you're thinking about next year's budget which is those conversations are going to start happening if you're a leader like in about in another six weeks or so yeah. uh, keep some discretionary funding available available to yourself all right let's go to the next one lessons learned and i'm looking for your top lessons learned and we don't have to go into extreme detail about them but you can give a little bit of snippet into what happened and why did it happen so that's the very broad question lessons learned Maybe take this as a career lessons learned. Okay. After 16 years working, I feel that one must follow their heart. Now, this is a very generic apple pie, motherhood and apple pie sort of statement, but I've tried enough things that I know what works for me now. Like I've said, right, I've done e-commerce, selling wedding gowns, you know, bizarre thing like that, real estate, uh, nonprofit. I've done mobile devices. I've done so many different things. You have to, one has to stop listening to people because the advice out there 
very rarely matches your own aptitude, right? And you have to follow your heart. You have to try different things and then hone into fine tune till you find that thing that works for you and keep doing that. Same goes with people. The network around you, you have to find the people, even in a company like SAP, which is so large um, that almost, you know, it's hard to know what somebody else is doing and how are you going to intersect with them. But the way to make things work at a large company like this, or even in the broader network, is to find small networks of people who are like-minded, who think like you, who work like you, and then work with them. Otherwise, it's very easy to get lost. What else? Don't be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid to completely give up what you've done before. Start from scratch. Start by saying, I'm sorry, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm going to try 100, 200%. I'm going to put in every midnight hour there is, and I'm going to put in my blood, sweat, and soul, and I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there faster than anyone else. But don't be afraid to say that and put your hand up and, and just do it because it's one life. It's one life we got. you got to stake everything, right? Play yep. it big and play for the win. Fantastic. I mean, I really like number two. Because okay. it's, it's, I, I guess maybe it's core to me too, right? Because I always optimize for the people I'm going to hang out with and mm-hmm. are we going to have fun? I mean, people will hear me say this multiple times on podcasts is you got to do stuff and have fun. It's got to be core to you, core to you because life's too short. There's no reason to do something that you don't like. Focus yeah. on on making sure that you hang out with people and keep, keep a growth, growth mindset. But the third one point that you made, I think is absolutely fascinating because if you aren't able to give up what you already have and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Now I'm mm-hmm. saying plan it. It's not like you have like two mortgages and then you actually go do pivot and then you kind of, kind of that's, that's dumb. But if you can plan for it and pivot into something different, just to see if you can scale from there. Right? Yes. And, uh, uh, and, right. and sometimes you have to go back a step, you know, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's totally, it's fair. And it's totally okay. Right. But, but you have to do, what you believe will unlock you and uh, and and allow you to get to the next level. And the next level isn't necessarily a title or promotion or something something right. like that. It could be financial freedom. But but as long as you know where you're headed, that I think is is the right way to do it. Because don't pivot if you don't know where you're going. Because that would just right. be like but if another. You, if you keep a learning mindset and yes. check your ego at the door and say, yes. "I'm going to be humble. I'm going to learn from everybody yes. around me." Yes. You are, 100% likely to get to that finish line and make yes. it. There is yes. no way that this won't come to you because you are in, you're putting yourself in that mental framework. 100%. And, you know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time with the word humble because it also gets taken, ac- taken across multiple different ways, right? The humble doesn't mean don't have an agenda because right. if you sit back and think about it, nobody wants to work with somebody who doesn't have an agenda. Right. Everybody at, after, at the executive level knows there is an agenda what is interesting is how that agenda is carried out, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what I think helps executives become better or senior executives is because the way they carry that thing out, right? And But like so, sometimes in these conversations, we all get stuck on the word agenda and humbleness mm-hmm. and ego. And like they're all kind of interrelated. But at least in my viewpoint, if you don't have an agenda, I'm thinking you're lazy. And I don't want to yeah. hang out with you. Maybe you know. I mean, I mean, I'll go golf yeah. with you. No, you're right. Like that. You're but, right. But what do you what do you think? I mean, would you want to hang out with somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just no, passing no, by. Of course not. No, no. Then they're like, then they're in dream world, right? So then exactly. I, I'll wait for them to come back. But what I was saying more is, don't take someone's judgment of your idea as a judgment on yourself. Yes, hundred percent. You and your idea are two different things, and don't be so upset with your ego being front and center that yes. you lose the bigger picture because the bigger yes. picture is much bigger than you. 
It's much yes. more interesting and exciting. And there's always fun, fun things to yes. do. <laughs> yes, 100%. No, I, I second that. I just wanted to make sure that like people understood the word, that the word agenda is yeah, actually not. It's, and, and then it gets it's twisted to the word political. And I'm like, okay, if somebody doesn't understand how to read the tea leaves, and understand where the group is going. Mm-hmm. And then you put that, term that as politics. Mm-hmm. I think that's just the bad definition, right? Like yeah. there's, there's negative and toxic, toxicity. Yeah. That's, those are different words, right? Like, but agenda, I think is, should actually be viewed as a, as a positive thing versus, versus a negative thing. Right. And uh, it's so interesting you bring up the word politics because I had this, to- I had a class in school called Power and Politics and Organizations. Yep. And what we what we learned is that anywhere there's a human being or there's more than one human being, there's politics. Yep. But the word politics is not necess- necessarily negative politics. There can be yes. positive politics too, saying good things behind someone's back. 100%. That's a positive manifestation of that. Yes. But we tend to take most things negatively because we are a flawed species and yada, 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 right? Yes. And oftentimes when the word politics comes up, it's actually coming out of a debate, right? And mm. in, a, in, a, in a situation where there's, there was a debate, right? And to me, like, you've got to be able to to debate things. In, right. And, and, and to be totally okay. And actually, we've, we've actually started, I mean, what you and I are doing also is some level yeah, of a debate, drifting. right? Yeah. yeah. But but like like I was on the phone with uh, with with Leslie Alcor from like Ivanti, uh, and she totally like went at a point at me, and I'm like, wow, this is super duper interesting, and because it's intellectually stimulating, yeah. You know? mm. If you don't find somebody that can actually can can work with you at that level, I feel like you're gonna be bored. But yeah, again, to each their own. I'm just looking out for executives who are trying to become senior executives, and they yeah. have and and the advice that they get is go build relationships, mm-hmm. and I'm like, fantastic. Then what? This is the stuff that I think they need to know. But I want to know your thoughts. Yes, go build the right relationships. So this is another thing that I I like to say. Not all leaders inspire me just because they've reached the leadership level. There are certain kinds of leadership that resonate with me, and I will make sure to reach out to those people only, not the rest of them, right? So build relationships with those that inspire you, whose messaging and communication or something about them resonate in your own style. You feel that they are somewhere on the same journey, but maybe a few years ahead, and then you you can learn from them. Or the other way around, that somebody else reaches out to you and with the same thing, they want to catch up or they want yep. to emulate you. Yeah, build the re- build relationships with the right ones. Yep, sage advice. All <laughs> right, let's uh, talk about a resource. Is there a book, blog, newsletter, website, or a video that you would recommend that our listeners read or consume? In the past many years, the couple of media I used to consume the most, and I'm saying used to because this was pre-COVID, the two I will mention are Seth Godin's blog, wonderful marketing blog, and the other one is Fast Company, which is a digital magazine that is wonderful. But in recent, since COVID has happened, I've, I've sort of come to terms with the fact that now it's less about platform and more about specific content or area of interest. Yep. So like I mentioned, I watch random YouTube things about influencer marketing and I watch these influencers. I'm not very influenced by them, but I'm just fascinated to see how it's working and playing out. And now these people are now showing up on TikTok and then Clubhouse and all of these platforms again. But yeah, the content is, I think, more important than the platforms. I agree. I totally agree. So we always ask people if there are three other people in B2B tech who mm-hmm. either are in go-to-market or data science that you recommend we bring on the show. So do you have a yes. few names for us? I do have, and you asked me for three, so I will give you three. Nice. Because I'm good for my word. Okay. 
The first name I will say is a leader that inspires me a lot. He's a lot of fun to speak with. He he has original ideas. And I think this is very important because there are too many people out there who just speak the company speak. But yes. this person has his own ideas and he is just a lot of fun to hang out with and lead as a leader. His name is Vahid Kamsi. Okay. And he is the COO of our organization based out of Waldorf in Germany. Nice. The second name is, he is one of my mentors and he's recently left SAP to go to Microsoft, but he's a, he's a very mature leader and um, someone I look up to a lot. His name is Matt Jennings. Okay. And then the third name, this is someone who's leading our purpose and sustainability and CSR domains. Okay. And, you know, as we talk about people, technologies, all of this coming together, us, our customers, our employees, our partners, the entire SAP and sort of digital ecosystem, this person is one that's taking it further and saying, okay, what about the planet, right? When do we start talking about the triple bottom line, that it's not just economic bottom line, but also environmental bottom line and social bottom line, and every company has to deliver something so that our the, where we live is is sustainable and we can we can keep using resources in a sustainable manner. And his name is Vivek Pa. Fantastic. Well, if people want to ask questions based on all the content that we've discussed today, mm-hmm. where what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Best ways are to LinkedIn and Twitter. That's the best way to connect. And Twitter tends to be a broadcast sort of a place. So LinkedIn, I would say, for bi-directional mm-hmm. um, connection and that sort of thing, LinkedIn is the best. Okay. Well, I had a ton of fun on the, on this one. This definitely is a highlight of my, my week. And I am mm-hmm. looking forward to when we can get on again and talk about go-to-market strategy. And I may actually do this because we've been toying with this idea of having multiple people on the podcast oh, and nice. pair us up with a couple of other folks. And then mm-hmm. we can have a, an hour-long session, but then we can break it up into like different sessions, right? Sections, yeah. but, but bring fun people together. And I, I have like a, a couple of people that I think the four of us could have, have a lot of fun. Um, but thank you so much for spending time with me. And thank you for having me on your show. And uh, best of luck in your journey. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.